Luke, we can't talk like human beings. No, we cannot. We have to record. We have to record this. So back to our conversation we were having before we started to record. Gomer says Please. he doesn't miss drinking. I I don't miss the drinking that we did in the 20s. I Absolutely do. not. I do. I miss that. No. I miss going to bars. I miss hanging out with everyone. I miss like drinking 10 like beers and being like, yes, this was a smart choice. This won't yeah. backfire at all. I don't want any. I don't want the lack of sleep that's going to come with that. I don't want getting up seven <laughs> times to pee. I don't want like feelings of like in the morning of like what 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 yeah. what. So you, you know. want all of the fun without any of the consequences? Got yes, it. yes, exactly. But I do miss yeah. like actual alcohol. Like I miss drinking alcohol. Like I miss the taste of. I haven't. I have not like had like good beers in so long. Oh, and I want to do that without regard for the next day, which is what I used to do. Well, speaking of good beer, oh, I got a Topa Chico. Yeah. Topa Chico hard seltzer. I'm drinking from a hydro flask. Do you, okay, so actually, funny story. So I listened to an old episode of ours. Okay. Uh, so let's say, I want to say 120. That feels wrong. It was from before Everly was born. It's during the pandemic. And it's super funny because one, you can hear the like, what the f going on? Than our like voice and attitude because it's it's June of 2020, so we're three months in, and it's like, hey, this isn't going away. What is happening? Oh my gosh, the world is falling apart, and I am just—it's kind of sad, actually. I was a little bit upset with myself. I am clearly drunk, <laughs> like clearly drunk. And at one point in time, I'm like, I've had three fourths of a bottle of wine, and it was a little sad. But there was also this element, though, to it of what a dark time. And it's funny because, like, my daughter was born a month yeah. uh, later, which is one of the happiest times of my life. But truly, 2020, I think yeah. I, I even talked about it on this episode. That was around the time I remember being in the car, talking to my therapist because I couldn't. I don't know why I was in the car t talking to him, but I, I was. And it was right when, like, everything is super bad with the, with the protest, but everyone's, like, locked inside and the, the world is just crumbling. And I was, like, about to have a panic attack, I felt. And I remember my therapist being like, hey, everything is terrible, so it's makes very much sense that you are having a horrible time right right now and yeah be okay with that it's just it's funny to hear that and like i don't think i'm going to i don't ever want to revisit a lot of things from that time period like tv right. shows i don't want to see it yeah it's funny when you watch like i'll watch like a youtube video and you know maybe i discover a channel and you're kind of doing a a, a deep dive and all of a sudden i realize oh this is the like end of february 2020 or first week of march 2020 mm -hmm. and it's like you poor little simpletons you have no idea what's gonna happen to all your plans i know i know it's the same like it i don't think i mean there was there's nothing really fond about the pandemic in and of itself so i i think it's a little bit absurd to be like i don't think anyone's going to look back on this fondly yeah. but i truly don't think anyone's going to look back on this uh, fondly and i think it's going to impact the next you know probably I think the 2020s will be will be completely impacted by the by the pandemic. We will always look fun. back on it. It'll be a it, fun time and have to view on it in that light. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, welcome to Gatsby Foxes, everyone. <laughs> We're just yeah, but like well, I, shit, like man. I was like I was just so like like Luke. You just sound so sad. You just I mean I'm projecting yeah. a lot. Well, you on, were on man. There. You you were more locked down than I was. Oh, definitely. One just because of Ohio versus Texas, but definitely. two because you were quarantining. Because of the baby. We were terrified. Yeah, we were terrified. The worst thing that we were, I, I think we brought this up on the podcast and how careful we had to be was that there was a very good chance that Aaron had, was going to have to do it alone. Yeah. And I, I think which I, is horrific. That it was just so horrific. So, like, we didn't, we couldn't do anything. We could not do anything. I remember it was like a year into it. You were like, I had beers on my driveway with uh, Kevin Hader. And I was like, I've been having potlucks for six months. <laughs> like, it was just a total I remember being angry at, at you guys in Texas. Like, you're not taking this seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and we were just in our own way. <laughs> yeah. The way where we don't sacrifice our mental health. Anywho, I love you. And let's stop talking about the pandemic because I hate that time in my life. Same. Same. Yeah. Besides my yeah, wonderful man. daughter being bored, who did not bite me in the ear again. Praise be to God. So. Yay. Yeah, she Yay. just, uh, she did, I had a funny, okay, so this is actually one of the topics I wanted to bring up today. Okay. So there's this horrible stat that half the people in Japan who are in their 20s don't want to have kids. Yep. They don't have kids or are planning on, on, on having kids. And I felt bad for them. I honestly felt bad. And then after I tried to wipe Everly's butt, she ran away butt-ass um, naked across across the place 
to her to her room with just tons of poop in her butt. And I was like, you don't understand. You can just like take your feces and just get it everywhere right now if you so choose. If you so choose. If you so choose. That's within her power. We're just going to have feces, human poop everywhere because right now you are running. You are clearly 10 to 15 feet away from me and you have a butt filled with poop and you're just running around being like, ah, terror. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I used to paint with my poop on the wall next to my crib. Yeah, I would put my hand down the back of my diaper and then pull out a big poop and exactly paint what, with my yeah, yeah, yeah. None of my kids did that. None of my kids did that. They're they're a little smarter than me. <laughs> I guess Everly is a little not. smarter. But you know, I, I just I <laughs> she's right there with me. <laughs> yeah, I and this you know, there's a lot of people who want to have kids that can't, and I'm very sensitive to that. And I completely understand that. I have been there. There are people who, through no choice of their own, are just they aren't married yeah. and it hasn't worked out. Or, you know, whatever. And I don't think that kids are a necessity to a happy life. But I do feel bad for people that actively reject it. Again, not, not someone who's like, well, vocation isn't that, but who just like. Yeah. Because I'm just like, man. Who just write it off wholesale. Like, what a boring existence. <laughs> you know, like, like, like truly, like what a boring existence. Like, Everly. You know, five minutes after doing that, we were, we were watching Donald. She, she loves to watch Donald Duck on Disney Plus right now. Right. So she goes, Donald Duck, Donald Duck. And I'm like, all right, I'm yeah, you are a tyrant and I am your servant. And so I put that on and she just like um, leans against me, kind of like hops in, like hops in my lap. And I'm like, what? I, I will. I would trade. I, I would never trade this for anything. There's not right. one thing besides maybe the U.S. winning the World Cup that is better than that. And I I. No, but sure, like I, I just, I just feel sorry for people that think that that's not as important as like whatever is important to them. Yeah, like being able, having the ability to go to Tahoe for the weekend, or you know, the things that I hear from the young adults here in my community of like, well, we just want the freedom to be able to like pick up and go and go on vacation, and we don't need kids holding us back. And it's like, listen, I'm not here to tell anyone how to live their lives. Just kidding. I work for the Catholic church. That's all I'm here for. <laughs> but the idea of it is like there, there just is, there's a reason why most people have kiddos and, uh, mm -hmm. it's a, it, they're said and why they have more than one. Cause they are a game changer. They're exhausting as hell, but they're a game changer. Mm -hmm. So like, I like what you said, like just the, it's the funniest things because having a child sit in your lap and watch a goofy, a goofy movie literally mm -hmm. uh together it's like oh this is worth my 20s <laughs> like I'll, no I'll yeah give you this totally totally like it, it and you can't plan it like you can't expect it you can't map it out it just happens and well, it's cool and ultimately i think for me it comes down to a life that is truly lived for other people uh kids it's very much in your face it's very immediate again like yeah. Everly was butt ass. I'm naked. I really want her to hear this and, and be very embarrassed in teenage years. So I'm gonna just, that's like this is like my slow, long term yeah. revenge. But um, just running across the <laughs> the living room, the dining room, and then to her bedroom, just with shit in her butt. Just at any moment, she could just fall out or just put it on everything. And yep, you hear that, Everly? That's what you were doing, and. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying feeling because it's, but like, what? It's also like a crazy adrenaline rush. And I'm like, oh, this has to be fixed right now. And so it's like, <laughs> like right now. So something, and it just, when you have that immediate um, need with, with kids, it's there. But like, there's tons of ways we can, that we can also experience this through taking care of the elderly, other things where like, I think what I feel bad for are people that don't have anything they're really accountable to, regardless of the circumstances. Because mm -hmm. there's a profound mm -hmm. love there. Yeah, that is just so much more fulfilling than anything else, and it can be kids, it can be whoever. But like, have you seen on Fifty First Dates? Uh, no. So watch that film. It's actually really incredible. It's like so. Adam Sandler okay. has this run of movies. Click is on one of them where they're oh he, yeah, actually, with Drew Barrymore. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah. he's saying some really profound things about like what people will do for other people and the importance of community and of um, a family in particular yeah. and so in um, 50 first dates for people who have not watched it yet drew barrymore who just i love her and want to marry her she in every movie that she's in i'm just like i love you she has amnesia and she can't remember anything up to a certain date in her life and anything after that she forgets up until like that date so like 
she will um, wake up, have a whole day, and she'll experience all this stuff, and she'll think it's the next day, but it's been like you know 200 days. And then she'll go to yeah. bed, and she won't remember anything about the previous 200 days. She'll think it's 200 um, days ago. And, and so her dad and her brother, played by Sean Astin, is her brother, and the dad is the guy who plays in the, in the water boy, the weird, the weird coach. I forget which actor that is, but they like repaint yeah. her room every day. So yeah. she feels like it's that day and they like redo their whole house. They just, they, every day they reset their entire life. So she feels like it's a certain day. Yeah. So she doesn't feel out of place. Exactly. And just uncertain. Yeah. And, and like scared. And, and I was just like, what a, it actually reminds me a lot of, um, like when my grandmother had Alzheimer's, I couldn't tell her that they stopped telling her that my dad had died because she had to relive that over and over again. Yeah. Like that shock yeah. and how, and, and I just think like what and how painful that's got to be to hear someone you love talk about someone that they love that they want to talk to that they can't. Yeah. But like what a profound form of love. And when we put our needs first all the time, and I'm not saying that your needs aren't important. Obviously they are. But if it solely becomes about like your wants all the time, if you can't distinguish between your wants and your needs, that's a lonely existence. I truly, I just felt so bad for that people like felt that I, I, and I, and I don't mean like, I pity you. I really don't. I, I just, I mean it as in like, what have we done to ourselves? Did that like, what's happened in Japan? That's gone to that point. Yeah. And people in the comments were saying like, I agree with that. It's not a bad idea. I'm just like, what, what have we actually done to ourselves? that we think this is okay. I think the dating world is brutal for a lot of people F- from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. The prospect of finding committed long-term relationships in a dating app world becomes super difficult. And and this is just for normal secular people. This is for church people that everyone is one swipe away from finding a quote-unquote better arrangement. And what I'm hearing from a lot of people is that they always feel like they're replaceable, so they're scared to give themselves to a serious relationship, Hmm. right? both men and women. And so they're comfortable either with using each other for short-term things or with discarding the opposite sex. So for instance, in the manosphere on YouTube, there's this whole thing called men going their own way where it's like, you know what, women, screw you. It's not in the incel thing. It's just men who are like, I might smash you, but I'm never going to love you. I don't want anything to do with a permanent relationship because all you're going to do is take from me. And it's an experience. This is a thing I don't think people are acknowledging. It is an experience of profound brokenness for both sexes all across the board. And the idea of within that, someone conceiving, like the only thing that they are allowing them to conceive is, well, I need to do right by me, right? Like I need to not get hurt. I need to not make stupid decisions where, you know, she's going to take half my money, you know, get divorced, you know, after a year or two or whatever. And, you know, all the things that are that are like bubbling around that something has to give here and a hyper promiscuous culture that is simultaneously afraid of children is is, I mean, a deadly recipe for number one an increase and in return to, you know, abortion and all that stuff. But it's just across the board. It's super sad. It's super painful. Like all these young adults who. If they keep their morals, they can't get a date. Mm-hmm. If they give up their morals, they feel used and they get run through. Like, and, and they all hate it, but they all perpetuate it. There was this interesting debate on Twitter, which I am back on occasionally. Don't follow me. It's, I'm just retweeting sports stuff. So unless you want to see me and other people talk about U.S. Um, soccer, do not follow me. Uh, nobody got time for that. Yeah, I don't even know my, what my username is but uh whatever it's called I, i'm back on twitter too it's michael with like 37 letter or numbers <laughs> that's how i have it, no idea is what it, it was is. your apple id that that's what i did yeah and i'm like mm, oh, oh that's like, fine no mine's just whatever twitter auto generated and i was like yeah mine's like luke good. car something 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 so <laughs> i'm like all right thanks elon shoot you had a good point i just screwed it up what were you talking about uh the hurt the brokenness <laughs> the woundedness Everything. the run throughness oh oh okay so here's what i was gonna say J.D. Flynn and, and the pillar they were talking about Tinder not using age verification tech stuff as stringently as they mm-hmm. could be, which is real sketch. And but there's a whole that's actually a whole other thing with that uh, that is kind of interesting. But then this other person I forget her name 
it was on my feed and she was was talking about how actually like she knows a lot of people who met on on Tinder and she brings yeah. up a really good point. She's like, it's not all bad. It's not. Like there are some really great unmarriages that have that have come out of this. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. I think to to acknowledge the bad and to and to acknowledge the good as as well. The challenge that I see with a lot of this stuff is like there's this thing we do right now where it's like if anything is remotely the same, then it's all the same. So mm-hmm. um, marriage is marriage is marriage. I've heard people say say yeah. that or other things. And when I think about when it comes to human brokenness, we're all broken. And that's super important, I think, to acknowledge and to realize for myself. So I'm only going to speak for myself here, which is a way of uh, protecting myself. So you guys can't be angry at me. I do think there is, if I could choose, I'd rather be broken trying to live a moral life than broken trying to live a hedonist life. No. Like, now the, like it's weird because the brokenness is the same. And for, for most people, it's going to be about the same issues. But there's something mm-hmm. about when you're trying to, like, when you're trying to live a life in the church, it's the same brokenness, but it's like brokenness with hope as opposed to like brokenness. With, and, and I don't know, I don't know how to explain, it, but I feel like I've, there's been times in my life where, like, intellectually, in my heart, particularly, you know, 15 plus um, years ago where I was really at war with like, do I believe this or not? Am I really doing this or not? And I just, there's something about the summer of scandal. The The summer summer of of scandal. 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 Just the weirdest thing. It's like, I can never leave this church no matter how hard I might try or might want to, or my actions say otherwise. And it's something about when you are uh, rooted in a thing and you can still acknowledge your brokenness that for me makes it way more bearable Mm -hmm. than if I were not to have that. And I, I don't know. I feel like this is just me being old man screaming at cloud, or I don't know if this is like a privilege thing. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know how to put this because it just, I'm not trying to say that like people who are in the church have it better. I don't know if that's if that is necessarily true, but I do think that when you are I'm a rooted in a something good. Brokenness becomes a little bit easier to bear. And when you're not, it's terrifying. Yeah. Hello. Today's episode of Catching Foxes is sponsored by the Amen app. What if the way to deepen your prayer life is actually really simple? Tell me more. You could do it in your car or in your kitchen, in your bedroom or your dorm room, by yourself or with your kids. And it's not just surface level. It's true, deep prayer. That's why the Amen app helps you pray. It's like a guide that walks you through your prayer time. Designed by the Augustine Institute so late Catholics can grow an authentic prayer that fits their daily routine. The look of the app and the sound of the recordings engages your whole self in prayer. On the previous ad read, I mispronounced the word whole. I'll let you guess which word I use instead. The meditations use beautiful images and soothing music to help you relax and let the words sink in for you personally. And you can do that with a whole library of prayers. Put on the rosary, divine mercy chaplet, or start a novena. Improve your habits of praying with scripture through daily readings and reflections led by Dr. Tim Gray. Listen to Catholic meditations for themes like anxiety, courage, mercy, and spiritual growth. It is a super simple app to use. You can adjust the length of the prayers to fit your window of time. And the best part, Amen is free and always will be. This is perfect for Lent. Download the Amen app today for iOS on their App Store or for Android on the Google Play Store. Again, this is the perfect thing for uh, for Lent. So go and download the Amen app today. It is on the App Store for for iOS and for all you people that, that have an Android. Okay, that is a choice. You can go to the Google Play Store. Again, Download the Amen app for your iPhone or your Android on both respective app platforms. Thank you to the Amen app for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. It just makes me think of like, we're all in search of redemption of some sort, Mm -hmm. right? Like we all know that we've screwed up. You know, every human being is aware, like even your stupid New Year's resolutions, like we've all screwed up. We've all failed. But it's like, what do we do with that failure in terms of, like, some people pursue success. I'll never make that mistake again. Okay, but, like, what do you do with the failure that you've already done? Like, what what do we do with our past? 
That's mm. something that mm. I think about a lot lately. It's it's a part of my parish mission to talk about the only way to kill the tyrant of the past is through forgiveness or repentance. Something that I've done, something that someone else has done, or else the past will keep showing up in your in your present. And the idea being like in Christianity as a religion, we have a path to redemption. Right? Like there is this redeemable thing. And in in all religions, there is some in all real religions, there's some element of guilt and forgiveness and starting over and all this stuff. But we're the only religion that make God pay for it. Hmm. You know, like that God willingly paid the debt. And in encountering Christ crucified, which I did, I have never prayed more in my life than I did during the Triduum. The Triduum lit a fire in me that was both devotional and liturgical that was just absolutely incredible. Here we go. And <laughs> But no, what I'm saying is this understanding of redemption, like meditating on the sorrows and the passions of Christ, I know for a lot of people can feel like a bit much, and sometimes it is for me. Um, I don't do the stations every Friday. I don't, I've never done all, any of that stuff. But I've only been to Holy Thursday Mass since I was an adult three times. Oh, are you, are you serious? Yeah, because huh. I, I never would have guessed that. So I went once when we were at Franciscan, when I was in grad school, I went to a Holy Thursday by myself, and I sat in the front row wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Love it. Love it. And I remember crying with this young woman was singing Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Another, so I have like some baggage from my past about Holy Thursday. Basically, a bunch of my friends were pressured into doing this liturgical dance thing, and it was ridiculous, and so I refused to do it. And then my pastor yelled at me, and I was like a senior in high school. I never knew that. Yeah, it was just, well, it was weird, because like no one really wanted it, and a person that was at the church you know, ended up leaving pretty soon after that who kind of pressured, and it was like, well, there's teenagers. They're, a, they're an audience that you can force to do things, and so I don't mean that in a weird way. And I got like yelled at in the piazza in front of the church. And it was just this weird, like this weird thing. So I just always, almost always avoided it. It was, it really was like a, well, I don't have to go. So I'm not gonna. Mm-hmm. And some of the churches that I went to over the years, they were weirdos with the foot washing. I can't stand all the weird crap that goes on during foot washing. Like it becomes political. Whose feet are going to get washed? Why didn't you wash his feet, her feet? Why didn't you do that? And then you go to some churches where like people like, I nominate your feet to be washed. And it's like, oh, I wish you wouldn't, you know. So, anyhow, I've just been so many places where it's just weird. So, this year we went. And it was two and a half hours long. We had to get there an hour early. Good Friday, I took uh, my wife, did this thing. I've never heard of it. It's called the Via Matris, the way of the mother. Mm-hmm. And so they did Stations of the Cross at noon, and then the Via Matris at one, and then the Rosary at two. And my wife is like, what's the Via Matris? I, I think I'm going to go to that, the Way of the Mother. I, I don't know what that is, but, you know, some cool tradition we'll try. And so I Googled it, and it's the Seven Sorrows of – it's the Seven Sorrows of Mary. And this is the time now, two years, mm-hmm. when our last miscarriage happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a year ago on Holy Thursday, we moved here into this new house. And all this stuff. So it's like a charged thing mm-hmm. for my family. Yeah, absolutely. So on Good Friday, Shannon's like, I want to do this via Matris. I don't know what it is. And I was like, oh, honey, I Googled it. It's the seven sorrows of Mary. So ever since we lost our third kid through miscarriage, which almost took Shannon's life, she's had this kind of like side devotion to the seven sorrows, right? Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I am, I was just saying this to Shannon, like, I can't have devotions for myself without telling people you know i can't like it's so stupid no i so chalk it up it's just, it's just your personality like it if is you, i chalk if it up like, to be an external processor if no yeah. if you were an atheist you would be like so into telling everyone about richard dawkins yeah i really yeah. would so i read this book and it's terrible philosophy but i still use it <laughs> you would all add that too <laughs> yeah so the but i like the you know the old line like be a don't be a channel, be a reservoir, like give from your overflow, mm-hmm. not 
from whatever's given to you. And I'm like, but I'm a channel in my very core identity. <laughs> so every time I experience something new, I immediately is like, hey, have you ever done this one thing that I did this one time? Everyone should do it now. So with my wife, so she kept this devotion very private. I mean, I knew she was doing yeah. it, but then she just led a women's retreat. And she, it, her talk on Friday night was on the seven sorrows of Mary. And she's had a devotion. Now they all, and she has these beautiful things. Anyway, it's a, it's a lovely thing. So I said to her on Friday morning, I said, Hey, just to let you know, I Googled that last night and it's a devotion to the seven sorrows. She's like, Is it really? And I was like, Yeah. So she took my daughter Kateri with it. Kateri asked to stay for mass. So they did that in the rosary. And then I came, Shannon came back and then I picked up Kateri and we went to the, um, the liturgy of, of, of Good Friday. And they were all two and a half hours long. And then on the vigil, we get there at 7, starts at 8.30, ends at 12.30. And then the church throws this huge, like a resurrection party. And I didn't leave till 5.30 in the morning. I cannot believe that when you, when you sent a text. Yeah. I was like, what is this, 2004? Can I join? <laughs> it, was, it was a late night. All these families are there. People bringing all the – we were amateurs. We didn't know what we were was doing. I, but- was I singing on stage again? <laughs> I wish. I wish. Yeah. So I was actually telling the pastor there, Father Fletcher, like, hey, this is actually a tradition that we do at Franciscan. And I used to MC it. My boy Luke would, he had all the musical guests and stuff. And he's like, we should definitely do music and make this big. But it's, they, just, they just rent a bunch of tables. They, have, they decorate it nice. They have, you know, whatever. And it's all outside. And so oh, the kids just great. play for hours. Yeah. And you have all these families. And I wanted to make it my mission just to bounce from table to table to table to get to know people and stuff. And I I'm, was a TV, I'm a wigwam. I'm a wigwam. I'm a wigwam. I'm a wigwam. I'm too tense. Uh, yeah. So that's awesome. So, uh, and I knew, I knew it was going to happen. I told a couple people beforehand. I said, the weird guy is going to find me and he's going to take about 30 minutes of my time. Sure enough. <laughs> Can I talk to you for a minute over here? And I'm like, you don't even know who I, I have am. some real issues with your podcast. Luke's a dick. Yeah. Yeah, I wish it was about that. No, it's always about their thing. So uh, <laughs> their thing that I have no idea about, but they're very, very into it. Um, so anyhow, but it was just a, it was a transformative experience for us. I'm so and, happy for you. Yeah. And it was just, you know, everything's laced with extreme emotion, but to navigate that with the big liturgies of the church, it just meant the world to me man it really did and um, it makes me happy especially now at this time in my life so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting you know i i would always I, I remember my mom taking us to a couple good friday stations of the crosses pretty much and going to like a public school i think she even pulled me out of school that day i was like this is great yeah um yeah i did that we may have been on spring break i, I don't but then I, I, like something about like there's, there's something about it. i think it's just easy for a lot of people to lean in hard like it just kind of makes sense that okay, this is a thing, and we should like yeah. and and it's funny I don't do it all the time, but I I remember I want to say when I was in Denver, there have been times when I've gone to every single thing like multiple times. Yeah, I think yeah. Denver. I remember doing that when I uh, dated Elizabeth. I remember going to a lot of stuff with her and her family a lot over Easter. We'd always spend that with um, her family, and I always just really enjoyed that. I always liked it, it was this whole thing, and it just yeah. it was just it was really really cool. And I've I've always really like I always try to go to at least I I always try to go to at least two things one being on mass obviously then either Holy yeah. Thursday or Good Friday or both and I usually try to go to, I love going to a church on Holy Saturday because there's nothing there and it just something mm-hmm. it, it's all in my head I'm sure but it just feels different and I'm like I oh, can yeah, talk as loud as I want <laughs> you know and 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 there's something about it that it's just super I, I read this um Balthasar essay on Holy Saturday that I put it in the Patreon that was just like so cool and I always like to meditate because like Holy Saturday it just is our time like like we live it constantly so yeah. to me it's so interesting just to kind of compare that day with like everyday existence there's something about leaning into liturgical leaning leaning hard into a liturgical season with a group of people that's really cool yeah yeah and with your family yeah oh 100 percent. yeah with my kids it was interesting to number one have my daughter ask every day to go to mass for holy thursday good friday and and the vigil and then to have my son when on holy thursday they did the stripping of the altars and the procession of the eucharist right so we have a very ornate high altar you know ad orientum all that stuff 
So they take the, you know, snuff out all the candles. They take the candles away. They take the flowers away. They take all that stuff away, remove the altar cloth and fold it, all this stuff. And the last thing that they take is the candle of the presence. And they, and then the altar servers with candles and with, um, the, uh, incense, they process out in absolute silence and in total darkness. Mm -hmm. All the lights are off. They process out. Now we were in the middle of an epic full lightning thunderstorm it was pouring rain lightning was going everywhere and we're in a barn and we have to walk 30 yards 50 yards something like that to the inside of a little house the the, the, the where the church is basically and then into the where they put the eucharist and where they reserve it in the chapel of repose and it was fascinating because my son thomas was like where are they taking him? Where are they taking him? Because he saw the lamp of the presence being taken as well. And he's like, wait, what? No. Hmm. And the whole idea for him was it took that liturgical act to switch his brain into the arrest and, you know, and trial of Jesus, the imprisonment of Jesus. Like, oh, this is what that, the, all the readings that we've been doing since Sunday that last forever, the Palm Sunday readings. This is what they're talking about. Like it just liturgically clicked for him. And he's like, what? <laughs> like climbing over me and yeah. Shannon. And, uh, and then we process out and it's pouring rain. And we go, you know, through the rain, through the light. I mean, lightning was lighting up the sky as we were going. That's cool. And then I, we lost our kids. We had to take some of our friends' kids home uh, with us. I spent the night. And uh, so we're trying to get them all, get them to the van relatively dry. But it was just a wild a wild experience, but to see, like, to go through that. So then I found this random book that a, a deacon died and gave us his library, and so I stole all the best books. And I found this book by a guy named Alan Alan Goudier. Uh, I think that's how you say his last name. And it's called the Death and Passion, or the Passion and Death of Our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's like one of these. It's not a meditation. It's not a, an historical analysis, but it's like a blending of the two. And it's like this is what Jesus was going through. This is what the gospel say. Here, here, here. You know. And it, so I read on Holy Saturday where, or Good Friday, like the trials and it was blowing my mind. The stuff this guy was saying. And I was like, I've had this book for like a year, never cracked it. And now I like, can't put it down. I don't know. It was just, it was an intense moment of communal and individual spiritual life stuff. I loved it. Nice. I, um, so it was just Everly and I, this, this weekend. So it was bit of a challenge to like really enter into everything. I had this grand idea oh, yeah. of trying to watch the Prince of Egypt because I like, I like to watch at least one uh, movie during the Tridium. We did the Prince of Egypt. It's yeah. typically Jesus Christ <laughs> superstar. Cause that soundtrack is so flippant great. And I just love, I love it so much. I don't care Can't what anyone says. I, I know. No, no, it's great. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. It's wonderful. Oh, it's funny. Like that opening guitar. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm a theater geek at heart. And so <laughs> I just love it so much. But uh, she, like, I tried to do the beginning part of the Prince of Egypt. And she just had no interest. And she's also sort of, oh. like, hit a lot and, like, do things that she's seeing on TV. So I'm like, maybe we should kind of pull back some of the stuff. So maybe let's go back to <laughs> just, like, hours of Miss Rachel. So have you seen what Miss Rachel? Have you missed this? Okay. Miss mm-hmm. Rachel is the greatest thing in the world. Okay. It is a preschool class on YouTube, pretty much, for your kid. Okay. She's a. Uh, she has a son who I believe is on the spectrum, and she was kind of frustrated with some of the the stuff out there and how it was wasn't helping with his verbal development. I think her like husband works on Broadway, and then she has a background in preschool education, and she's created awesome. these YouTube um, shows that are like backed by tons of research with like great musicians, and it's teaching kids and like it's like whenever Lee watches it, it's like she's in school, like she's at her daycare. Like she yeah. will do all the activities. She'll, she'll like talk back to the TV. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like I can do yeah. stuff. This is everything Sesame Street pretended to be. No, it, exactly. Exactly. Like yeah. somehow she's cracked the code and it's yeah. not like, like Everly is standing up and doing the activities. She's like, hmm. it's really cool. So anyways, if, if you have awesome. not check out on Miss Rachel, it is like, I just I will forever have ha, have it on, um, but I she just couldn't do the um, print of Egypt. But I was like, see the soundtrack is really cool, and these are some of the best actors of the time in this animation. Yeah. This is why DreamWorks really should have been the de facto go to animation studio of the two thousands. But then they kind of sold their soul to Shrek, and it just became a whole thing. 
Hey guys, what's up? This is Luke. I'm here today to talk to you about Decided Excellence Catholic Media. Decided Excellence is a print media company that specializes in community and parish magazines. How about that? Magazines making a comeback. Through local business sponsorship, Decided Excellence is concerned with bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to homes and highlighting the actions of the body of Christ in the local community. So props for that. Parishes partner with Decided Excellence Catholic Media to produce a monthly magazine that is sent to parishioners and Catholic-affiliated homes in the parish boundaries. Decided Excellence trains your staff to organize content from the parish, and it really should be all that too much extra work, so that's always a plus. They wanted to highlight that in there, so make that note. Every magazine centerpiece is a family from the parish that the parish wants to spotlight, this is also an opportunity for parishes to feature their own original content in evangelization and catechesis and to highlight the various ministries of the parish. Extensive Decided Excellence Library, which has articles from Bishop Barron, Scott Hahn, Relevant Radio, PrimeSoil.com, and much more in the event that parishes need additional content. Decided Excellence does all the designing, editing, and mailing for you. That is huge. That is a big, big time saver for you and your parish the bulletin is available to people who go to mass or search it out online the parish magazine is the only way to reach 100 percent of your registered parishioners because of our professional design team and production team the parish magazine is superior in beauty and quality our magazines are open kept read and shared and this is why a parish magazine is a great supplement to the bulletin. There are parishes all over the country who have created parish magazines, and parishioners love them. The magazine communicates the good works of the parish, strengthens community, and has even brought parishioners back to Mass. How to bring one to your parish? Check out decidedexcellence.com slash parish and fill out the information form. Once again, that is decidedexcellent.com slash parish to fill out the information form one more time for the old people in the back check out decided excellence.com slash parish and fill out the information form there's tons of possibilities that you can do here and it's great for you to talk about that with fellow parishioners parish staff and the priest at your parish you can flip through other magazines to see what their magazines are like by going to decidedexcellence.com. Again, that is decidedexcellence.com. Thank you to everyone at Decided Excellence for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Do you want to talk about me and the FSSP and kind of where I'm at with that? Well, you haven't told me what it is, so I'm super interested. I'm super interested, but there's one qualification. Every time I talk about liturgy, you pull out all your damn qualifications. Mm -hmm. So here's my one qualification. Just don't be rude. I, have I been rude? Yes. You are dismissive. <laughs> you know, are so I, dismissive. This is what I want Just to say. don't be rude about I it. I have walked in there, and I've thought, I hate everyone in this building right now. <laughs> like, I had that thought. <laughs> <laughs> It says more about you than it does I about know, them. That's what I'm realizing. <laughs> I mean, for the most part. <laughs> this is why I think so many trap people hate me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just. I, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is. Like someone on Twitter mm -hmm. who was really trying was like, are they still a thing? And I was like, yes, we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How dare you? I just no, I, I, I am. And it's so weird to like love this thing and be like, I don't want to be. I do want to be there. I wish no one else was here but but me. I'm struggling because I think for me, what ultimately comes down to is I have anger issues, so there's that. Mm. But then two is that I feel this real deep protection of I, I'll just I'll just go back to this. Every time someone craps on the Norvis Ordo, I think of the, of the Glen Marians and the profound um, faith right, I right. experienced while I was there and the witness that I saw with those guys and how it reminded me a lot of like the church I experienced growing up, hmm. which was just like Community. super on fire. Yeah. Super on fire for the Lord. Didn't have a lot of the uh, liturgical stuff for that. I think, you know, and so, you know, yeah. say what you will. It reminds me of the good stuff of Steubenville. It just reminds me of so much that for me, so so near and dear to my heart. And I saw God profoundly move in those ways. And to see it dismissed makes me furious.
but I'm bringing that baggage onto other people, and that's not unfair to them. And I like, like I love that you said, Luke. Don't be dismissive because that's what I'm doing. Every time I step in there, I take every. Yeah. I think I'm being judged by every look. Yeah. Like, like it was one point in time I had everyone there. It was it was just the two of us. It was exhausting, and she kind of escaped. I kind of she absolutely did, and she like runs up the aisle, and some guy turned and looked, and it could have just been like a oh, there's a kid, like. Everyone's trying to manage kids there, you know. Yeah. And a bit in my head, I'm like, "You mother, you want to go?" Like, like, I was, I legit would have thrown down if you wanted to, because <laughs> I was, I just, it, it creates yeah. this. I, I feel, and this is not fair to anyone who is there. And I'm right. bringing a lot of that baggage, and I don't know what to do with it yet. But I've actually like reached out to, like, buddy of ours who uh, attends a lot of this stuff. I want to talk to him and get, and get his opinion because I, there's something about it that just speaks to the core of who I am. And I know it's where God is like calling me to. And it just like, I don't know what to do about it because I, I, I get so angry at the people there. Yes. I walk in and I'm just furious at everyone that, that's there. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Well, I don't think it, no, I don't think it's crazy because this is, this is what I've discovered. So I have not been to the traditional Latin mass in what two decades, but this is the thing that I experienced. You have a lot of people in those communities who shit on the Novus Ordo because they went to really terrible Novus Ordo churches. Mm -hmm. And the Latin mass was the one place where you're told this is the most important thing on the face of the earth. It's the source and summit of the faith. No one is taking it seriously, and here they live as if the Eucharist is actually the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, and the liturgy that surrounds it, they take absolutely seriously, and for a lot of them, they have, like, this is the thing that I don't think people understand, is they have so much PTSD from grinning and bearing it in terrible churches, not your, like, maybe your average church, I don't know, but like, there's a lot of people, like, I go to a wonderful Novus Ordo church, right? Like, at St. Anthony's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not overtly abusive of the liturgy. And do you know, They're not putting raisins in the altar bread and, you know, crazy crap like that. So, I don't, like, I see these people and I'm like, you're just a bunch of mad, angry weirdos who, you know, you don't have any social skills. You're obsessed with this one thing. You're controlling and manipulative. You're an antiquarian. And I used to argue with these people all the time. But then I realized two things. Number one, my experience was not really of the average people that go. Because the average people that go are just normal people who love that liturgy and who have PTSD from whatever Novus Ordo. But my interactions, and I think the majority of yours prior to this, besides a couple of your friends, is principally Twitter. And it's like the assholish of the assholes are all on Twitter just constantly blasting all this stuff and super dismissive of, of exactly what you said. Like, so, so for me, the difficulty is how do you reconcile love of the liturgy with love of my neighbor? Right. I mean, I met a guy who's a Novus mm -hmm. Ordo mm -hmm. priest who was all about the traditional expressions of the liturgy in the Novus Ordo mass. His, his whole thing was, I want to do the mass of Vatican do as it's meant to do as it's meant to be done. And, but he was like one of the most annoying men I've ever met in my life. And he was a, a rude, condescending jerk. And I remember talking to him and just being like, you, you don't understand, like you as a priest who hired me to come to your parish, like you don't understand the very basics of human persons. Like you're just a jerk. And he's like, well, I do liturgy well. And I'm like, that's not an excuse to treat people like crap. But I think people do think that. I think the, the, the amazing people who love their neighbor as themselves, give themselves permission to do whatever they want in the liturgy. And I think people who are really into liturgy give themselves permission to treat people like crap. Because if you got one out of 10, the other one can be at like a four or a two. Yeah. I mean, and I've definitely been on the other side of like, I remember people complaining to Sarah Rogers about me and her saying, he goes to old St. Mary's just so you know, <laughs> like, like, yeah, that, like, right, which, is right. like, which is like, yeah. an, like an ordinate, you know, like, that's where we went to mass for the most Super part. Super reverent, yeah, very totally. traditional like, architecture. Yeah, and, and, and they're they're part of they are they are the ordinate or whatever it's called the that you go to. I believe it's the same. What? Thing. No, yeah, they're not in the ordinary. Yeah, they are. Old St. Mary's. I think so. Or it's an oratory. I forget. I don't know. 
Oh, yeah, it's an oratory. Yeah, whatever. The oratorians, yeah. <laughs> and so, They're a little bit different. So I, I think for me, one of the things that I am reconciling is for the longest time, Jesus, now that he was separate from the church to me, but my faith in Jesus, this is a really interesting thing to try to unpack. My faith in Jesus wasn't separate from the church. And I, the church was very important, as were all of the sacraments, particularly my experience of, and, and particularly my, my home parish and my experience at the Steubenville, con, at Steubenville conferences. But I never viewed the liturgy as this, like, I viewed going to Mass as, like, it was my Sunday obligation. Yeah. And that was, not that that was it, because I would go to Gilly Mass, and I loved the Eucharist, I would go to, I would go to adoration and all these things, but I still... It wasn't until the last probably 10 years or so that I've really seen the church's role in my life and, and, and in my faith and how important that actually is and what that looks like, which I think is one of the things that has led me to want a more traditional liturgy. One is just the beauty, and that just speaks to my yeah. disposition. I need that. I tr truly do. I just I don't like what I'm like without it. I really don't. Mm -hmm. And I've I've... It was a podcast from the Christopher Dawson Society where they're kind of like breaking down. It was one from like two years ago or so, like different yeah. like temperaments and how they were saying how like Balthasar yeah. and Benedict are more prone like prone like beauty. And, and like one of the bad parts is like you're also prone to like lots of despair <laughs> because you're so emotional about your faith. You're so, yeah, like, you tend to be more emotionally. Reactive. Yeah. I, yeah. That's I, from Father Benedict Groeschel. He did that. And I was like, I need to be around beauty then or it's going to like kind of wreck with yeah. me. And so. That's why that's one of the things that's really like that. And just, again, understanding the, 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 the church and who and who she is and all this stuff. So it's been kind of this weird, like, I'm not going, I'm kicking and screaming because I want it. But there, there is this part of me that's like, I'm not rejecting this other stuff either. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I feel like, I mean, like, like, that's the way the conversation is typically forced. And that's why I get so mad because I love Stupinville. It is not a perfect place. I'm the I'm the first person to be like, hey, here are the issues. I'm sure are still are still like a problem, and we have deliberately not talked about some of the Father David like Morier stuff because we're just kind of too not attached to it per se, but just there. It's just it's a lot, yeah. and I don't think I'm too I'm too personally attached to a lot of the stuff there, and I don't think it's fair for me for a lot of people to make comments besides like this is horrible. We should pray for everyone. This is horrible, and I'm angry, and I am upset, and all this other stuff. But like. Everly, I still want her to go there. I love the school. It's not a perfect place, but it profoundly changed my life, and I love it. I love it. And that is why I also can be so critical of certain things, but I'm never going to say it was bad for me, that it was bad that I went there. I, that's a yeah. lie. That's an absolute lie. It was very good. So if I'm supposed to, like, as I embrace this other stuff, why does it mean I have to reject the charismatic? Yeah. Why does it mean that I have to reject my old, like my parish? And I, I mean, yeah. we make fun of the felt banners all the time, and all the joy, joy, joy uh, jokes. And I will continue to, till the day I die. <laughs> but I love, like one of the, I mean, I can't tell you how healing it was to work at Glen Mary and to kind of let some of the frustration of the past go and to be like, that's right. I experienced Jesus in some profound ways through men like this, yeah. through a, I'm a liturgy stripped of everything but the deers in the background we could see through the window. Well, all I think is that's a false choice that no one needs to make, right? Mm, like, true. Yeah. I still consider myself a charismatic. Absolutely. There are plenty of times where I, I receive Holy Communion at an altar rail and I go back and I kneel down, you know, and I pray mm -hmm. and I got my hands in the Oren's prayer position, palms up to the sky, waiting to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord, you know, yes. Like, <laughs> Sun life. That is a very, very deep cut that 15 people will get. Sun life. Sun life. But within the context of the sacred liturgy, one of the things that I realized, like you were talking about with beauty, you know, there's this line uh veritati splendor right like the pope's encyclical splendor of truth the full phrase comes from plato which is beauty is the splendor of truth and it's it's truth as it radiates out and connects with the whole of me body and soul mm -hmm. and 
that's one of the things that I absolutely love about reading like the writings of Romano Guardini and the liturgical movement in its earliest stages was this this deepening of the understanding of like not just symbols matter, but beauty itself matters. Mm-hmm. And its unfolding is worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love. And so there there is a you know, Vatican II call for a noble simplicity. Uh, you know, as opposed to the Baroque, uh, you know, every inch of a church is covered in the sculpture of flowers and, and fruits and all this stuff. There is a thing to argue for a noble simplicity. But at the same time, there's also an iconoclasm that has taken over the church that wants to see altars stripped and stashed Jews literally and figuratively smashed and removed. Can you discuss that word iconoclasm? For oh, so the iconoclastic heresy, yeah, was a heresy in the Eastern Church where essentially they were fighting over whether or not it was appropriate to use images of Jesus and the saints or was that idolatry, especially the use of icons. And so the iconoclast heresy was refuted because Christ took a human face, and so it is okay to represent symbolically through iconography, you know, God, Jesus, you know, whatever. And in the West, that took a much more kind of aggressive position. Um, In the East, they never really depict God the Father or anything, but in the West, we did. And so that understanding was... Yeah, it is okay to have these things. In fact, these things help our senses enter into the mysteries that we worship. They don't they don't fully comprehend them, but they apprehend something about them. And the thing that people miss is beauty is very therapeutic. Beauty mm-hmm. is very healing on its own, mm-hmm. especially through the senses, the sense of smell with incense, you know, hearing music like all of this stuff can be very healing. And you realize that from the beginning, the church began to develop an understanding of how to coordinate these symbols into saying something profound about the word made flesh. And when we just throw away the symbols because we don't understand the understanding, that's actually where we start chipping away at what we believe about God. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting how things, when we don't look at them in their, full understanding it's super easy to be like are you serious get rid of that crap and we don't know what we're doing because we don't know what we're undoing that's my problem that's why i drink i think one of the things and i'll end with this if you want to yeah. wrap this part up actually i'll end with two things but first of all i'll end with this i for me it ultimately comes down to like open like open wide my door to whatever it makes me love you more lord from that new that you song that i love so much Open wide my heart to whatever you know. Open wide my door, my It's not about the liturgy t- to me, even though it is like, I don't, do you remember when we got into that big fight about all this? And I was like, ah, and, you know, we were just like screaming at each other about all this liturgy stuff. And it was great. I was in a horrible place. And I was just like, I'm dying. But to me, it's, it ultimately comes down to like, I just want to love the Lord more. And I just want to live a life where he's more active and I'm a visible in my um, life. I feel like often it gets forced into, I, I'm, I feel like I'm being, and this is probably all in, all in my head. I feel like I'm being forced into this thing where like, it's not about the Lord. It's about the liturgy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so is the liturgy an end or is it a means to an end? To me, I'm viewing it more as a means to an end. And I feel like often I'm forced to discuss of it as an end in and of itself. Am I wrong? Like, like what's the right outlook on, on that? Yeah. So there's a whole, so is, Jesus the liturgy. Well, right, so the liturgy is the work of God on behalf of his people. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a work of the whole trinity on behalf of his people. But we're not trying to look for Christ in the liturgy. The liturgy is the Christological thing. And so when you read Wilmano Guardini's Spirit of the Liturgy, which if you like audiobooks, if you buy Pope Benedict's Spirit of the Liturgy, it comes with 
Romano Guardini's Spirit of the Liturgy, which was written like 100 years earlier, and it is incredible. I would tell everyone, read Guardini's thing first. It is incredible. It is beautiful. It is amazing. It would shock you that it was written 100 years ago. But he has a chapter called The Playfulness of the Liturgy. And he said, liturgy, like play and like beauty or art, is an end in itself. That's what makes it different from work. That's why the command is to stop working so that you can rest, so that you can worship. That's the order. He said, what do we mean it's an end in itself? It's not useful for anything other than being with our Lord. And when you start to see mm. this, mm-hmm. that it is the worship of the Son to, or the, the, the prayer of the Son to the Father, the self-offering of Jesus to the Father, then you stop fussing about anything other than how can we make it more glorious and more wonderful? How can my, my participation in this be more holy? How can I go to confession more? How can I be more attentive to the small things? How can I mow the freaking grass so that when people pull up, it's beautiful from the front curb to the door? Like, what can I give to make this the most wonderful thing it can be? And he has a whole chapter where he talks about it being an end in itself. And he he says, he's like, people want to make the liturgy a means, a, a means to love your neighbor, a means to help the poor. And he goes, it's not. It's none of those things. It is only an end in itself because it is what it is. It's like play, like a bunch of little kids playing a game in the front yard. There's no purpose other than play. Like, yes, they might build society and build connections and learn to overcome their differences. Yeah, but that's not the point of why they're playing stickball in the in the street. Hey, Joey, they just want to play a game and have fun. Yeah, <laughs> they just want to have fun. I used to play stickball all the time with a broomstick and. The, Why is Steve Rogers um, running past us? Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Gormley was poor. He didn't even know it. <laughs> it's a broken broomstick. Why don't you throw that away? Nope, it's a baseball bat now. Uh, <laughs> car. <laughs> We'd all have to run away. <laughs> but that that idea of like, no, th- this is it. So the desire to make it faster, do this, do that. It's like, that's all false. Just be there for whatever it is. And then once you accept that it is what it is, all of a sudden, it can be so much more, which is the weirdness of the liturgy. It's non-utilitarian, well, and I, which is why I think it appeals to you. I think I would agree that, yes, 100%. That, that, that's the thing that I've actually, me and Bursch, have talked a lot about how, like, what is a more liturgy than just, like, wasting time with God? Yeah. There's a lot to wrestle with there, so I might just have to stop talking. Just I'm thinking about it for, yeah. for a while, but I'll... Well, I would encourage you to get the, guard, get the book. Yeah. Get I've, the book, I, Spirit I of the Liturgy, because... The Ratzinger part of it is awesome because he breaks it down in, it's all like, if, if you don't have a huge attention span, you're not really into audiobooks or whatever. It breaks, he breaks the chapters down to very specific things. But then the Guardini thing comes at the end and it's like, liturgy as play, liturgy as beauty, liturgy mm-hmm. as whatever. And it just, it's so digestible, but it's awesome. I think, that, let me just end with this and I would. Would be curious to get your thoughts, but I don't want to make a whole like a yeah. whole thing. So if you, th- if you think it's best to wait, we on this we can. One of the things I love about like the mass with the Glenmarians, or even like I used to love this, but I used to love mass in college. We would go to mass on Tuesday mornings at six. Let's say twenty five. I mean, I would go sometimes. Like that, yeah. Stayed up all night, way too many times. But I used to love that it was like stripped of everything. That it was just the prayers, yeah. and it felt so stripped down, and it felt it, this, the first time I ever really started to view mass really as a prayer. It started to make a lot of sense to me. It was that's when those seeds were planted, and I one of my favorite masses I've ever been to was I don't remember whose wedding. I feel like it may have been one of the Frank twins, but Father Dave Pavanka did mass in a hotel for everyone who was traveling. We were just in a hotel room. And I think there were two rooms that were combined, and we just opened up the two of them, from what I recall. Or it may have been like in like a little um conference room that he said um mass. I think at. it was in a conference room. Yeah, but it was awesome. Like it was awesome, and there was something about that that I was like, I not I I, I even I remember having this thought. I was like, I wouldn't want to do this all the time, but for right now, this is incredible. I love that we can do this. I love that we, we don't have anything here, but we have um Father Dave, so we can have mass. And how amazing that was. And I'm, yeah. and it, again, it's not a thing I would want all the time, but I love that aspect of the liturgy. I love, I love how simple it can be. And I think sometimes what concerns yeah. me is 
like the adding of stuff just for st- which again it's not the efficiency that appeals to me it's the all this is gone but yet um christmas still came it came without the yeah. tree it came without the presents it came without um, without the light it still came to me there's the, like that's the profoundness of it it's like all this other st- that's why I, I think sometimes a lot of it doesn't necessarily feel like it is f- fluff but i have this frustration of like is this about Jesus or just feeling like, ooh, cool? <laughs> like, that's, there's, yeah. I don't know. No, this is the big struggle, right? That's a, that's a, there's room for both. But like, I, that, yes, yeah. I really do. Because if, you, if you're going to either say, hey, Luke, be part of a beautiful like liturgy and you can't ever go to any masses like that ever again, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know if I could. Yeah. So my, again, but there's no, there's that, that's like a fool's choice or what, what do you call it? The, I agree. I agree. A forced choice. There's yeah. no either or there. Yeah. But my big thing within what you're talking about is when we understand the mystery that is happening, when you and I sit there, like if you, I mean, like what you, you want to talk about noble simplicity, go to a Latin mass, a low mass on a weekday. And just walk in there, and you'll be like, "Does he even know I'm here?" And the answer is probably not. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you want to talk about a strip down of everything? But the other, the other thing is, like, I was talking with this guy a couple weeks ago, and he was going off on why he hates going to mass at cathedrals, and why he hates the Latin mass crowd, and why he hates traditional anything. He said, I, "I," he goes, "I guess you know what? At the end of the day, I'm just like St. Francis of Assisi. I just, I could never imagine him at a mass like that." Just simple, pure, you know, whatever. And it's yeah. like, and any, he, he, the line that he was talking about, and I, you know, he wasn't even talking to me. He was talking to a group of people that I was a part of, but not really addressed to me. He I was said, listening in on someone's conversation. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. My, my wireless phone picked up my neighbor's phone call. Remember when that used to happen when cell phones were wireless, the cordless phone? But no, he said, uh, you know, I just can't imagine him celebrating the Latin Mass. And the person looked at him and was like, you do understand that that's the mass he celebrated. W- what are you talking about? He's like, it was in the 1200s. What mass do you think they celebrated back then? Yeah. And he was a deacon. He never became a priest, right? Francis of St. Francis of Assisi. I didn't know that. He refused to become a priest because he, yeah, because he was too enamored of the priesthood. Yeah. He's he like, said, I'm a little too sh- weird. Yeah. <laughs> no one can handle me. <laughs> All deacons are a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, he said, if I were to see a saint, descend from heaven and a priest walking down the road i would kiss the hands of the priest before i embrace the saint from heaven because through his hands i receive christ in the eucharist and i, would, I was just talking with the slovakian nuns and they're all franciscan nuns big and they love me by the way and so i was talking with them and they're all like dying laughing mother superior like thought i was the bee's knees and <laughs> she uh, loves your awesome. tp i'm a wiggle joke Oh, she loved it. It was great. But she, um, oh gosh, I miss them actually. But she was saying to me, she goes, you know, I hear all these people all the time use the legacy of St. Francis of Assisi and Claire as a way of excusing themselves from beautiful liturgy. Like, I prefer this radically simple thing. And she said, nothing could be further from the truth about the actual life of St. Francis. And she said, and my saint, St. Claire of the poor Claire's, she said, died stitching together the the vestments for priests at mass. And she said their whole house would, it was their great honor that that's how they participated in the holy sacrifice of the mass was to stitch together very ornate vestments. But it's like, um, what, what was the phrase um, from St. Jean-Marie Vianney? Uh, Let the priest cassock be shabby, but his vestments be resplendent. You know, that that idea of like, yeah, for me, simplicity. For our Lord, glory. For everything else, we'll figure it out. Hmm. In the most catching foxes thing ever, while you were talking, I had these beads that Everly loves to play with. And I was trying to get my foot inside the hole <laughs> while you were talking. Just because I, I mean, I was completely, I'm listening. I was just like, this is the most catching foxes thing ever. Like when I started to itch yep. my head with with an envelope opener when you we were talking with Katie. So, <laughs> so do you want to keep going? Oh, I think we can wrap up. We talked about traditionalism, drinking in your 20s. Anything else? <laughs> no, I think this, this is good. Yeah, there we go. Thank you to everyone who, for supporting us on Patreon. 
lots of cool stuff. Now would be a good time to hop on there if you want maybe access to some stuff a little bit early. Ooh, uh, we're we'll doing things. We're doing week. things. We're, we're doing things. So hop on right now. And then next week, I'll have a big announcement. No, oh, there we go. Huge. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah huge, huge announcement. Like huge. Yeah, huge. 20 years in the making. <laughs> uh, All right, y'all. All right. God bless. Bye, everyone. Bye. I thought you were praying the rosary, and then I realized you probably showed your boobies to someone to get a throne at you during Mardi Gras.